0: to the mindchimp podcast hey charlie welcome to the mindchimp podcast how are we doing i'm doing well how are you i am wonderfully well my friend i am wonderfully well
1: great. great have you done any work today
0: well not really i've done a bit i've done a bit you know it's kind of do them do the kind of hour work what you can be the most productive on and then hopefully you get a lot of things ticked off your list how about you
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah push some paper around you know you know how it is, this is make it. sure my little my little Skype man is is green so people think I'm working
0: yep yep every is it every when does it turn from green to from active available to I kind of when you're active
1: right so um yeah you have to the, the game is to keep it green because if it goes off green then people know that you're just uh
0: I don't know I like it I like That's your style nice. there Charlie um so I guess for, for the podcast listeners I, I know exactly who you are you know we speak mm. um so if this does come across quite friendly because me and Charlie are actually friends in real life. Um but I guess Charlie, first thing I tend to do is I tend to ask my guests to pick five numbers from one to a hundred. Okay. Go for it. Uh, all right. Uh one. Yep. Two. Okay. Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Fifty. And fifty. Perfect. We will come back to them later on down the line for sure um right so jali i guess when i get when i get my friends at a podcast on i tend to ask them to yes. summarize themselves um as a log line or a tagline can you remember what yours was
1: no i cannot <laughs> <laughs> i sent it to you though right so can i uh can i google it yeah, oh, google it. Look it
0: up yeah go for it go for it this is this uh, is live
1: My, it's live. Mine changes from week to week, frankly. So, um, let's see what's going on. Uh, no, I didn't send you one. Um, no, I did not. Okay. Uh,
0: my log line. I like this, actually. Just what what summarizes you right now? If I say to you, give me, give me a sentence. What summarizes you as you are right this second? How are you feeling today? Go for it.
1: Today? um i don't know if i could say anything particularly interesting i guess yeah i guess i'm feeling quite pensive i'm i'm chairing a conference on on thursday friday this week so uh i've got my head in head in that game at the moment but uh yeah i guess my i kind of go through various levels of existential crisis almost on a weekly basis where i think what's the point why am i doing what i'm doing um so so yeah like like i say my 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 log line would change week week by week but i guess where my head's at, at the moment is that frankly i just work because i want to have fun and the way i have fun is by getting pissed with my mates so you know working for fun
0: and getting pissed with your mates would that be one i think
1: that's probably one of
0: the best ones to be honest i think that's definitely Great. one of the best ones
1: yeah well it's an honest one i think yeah i don't have i don't have kids yet so i can say that
0: that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I like the getting pissed with mates is a is, is a definite priority. So well, it, yeah. it's when, top three. Yeah, it's one is up there. It's up there definitely. What's when you was in school, Charlie? And the teacher say, Charlie, Charlie, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What was it mm. you What was it you'd say to him?
1: Yeah, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Actually, um, I had a penchant for for sharks, um, and I think the reason for that is that they're basically awesome monsters that actually exist. So I was always interested in, like, dinosaurs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there's nothing more terrifying to me of the idea of being in being in the open ocean and being sort of stalked and k- hunted and killed by a great white shark, especially when you watch videos of them coming out of the water. Like, they drag they drag these kind of cardboard cutouts of small seals behind the boat, and the great white shark will emerge from the blackness below, below this cut, cardboard cutout, and it will just kind of rip it in half as it sort of surfaces and does a backflip it's like it's the most terrific and terrifying you know scenario that i can imagine and for that reason i think they're incredible creatures so i wanted to study them um but uh, my mum gave me the advice that i should study what i was good at um, or do what i was good at and i was good at uh, english history and uh, psychology so ended up doing that and now i'm in
0: hr the good so, yeah. life the good life apparently <laughs> <laughs> So that, yeah, that kind of leads me on. That kind of <laughs> leads me on smoothly, actually, from marine biology. In fact, let's let's step let's take it back a bit. I'm going to give you some random words right now, and I want you just to tell me what comes to mind when I say these words. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Digital learning. Digital <laughs> learning. What comes to
1: mind is yeah. fatigue. <laughs> fatigue. Okay. Um. Remember Duke Nukem?
0: Oh yes. That game.
1: What a game that was. Yeah. You know it just side His little face just sprang to my mind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know what, when I mean? you think about some of the games now, you know, Jute Nukem was it Jute Ni- Nukem and Jute Nukem was it, oh, I want to say 3D, or, oh, I can't remember. I think
1: it was Jute three yeah, 3D, yeah. Um, it was one of the first games, one of the first 3D games I played, I think, and I, I seem to remember the, the you kind of shoot stuff and it would kind of melt into like a green sludge. That's I don't know. It was cool and he used to wear he had like a vest didn't he like a
0: yellow vest on yeah it was like a it was like a full-on badass wasn't he really yeah the, um, <laughs> I, but I think about when you think about some of these games now though, like Duke Nukem stands out I think some of the other classic ones were Mario Kart I was a good I was a big fan of Mario Kart Um, um Golden Eye for the I think it was the N64 as well that was a good game anyway yeah we kind of went off on a tangent eh?
1: You did a little bit, you did. Yeah, it's all good.
0: I'm um, on track. So, so okay, um, AR and VR? The future. Okay. Um, classroom? Uh, matrices. Okay, okay. And L&D? and d
1: I don't know. I just oh, I just have no time for it, frankly. And I know that's going to come as a surprise for someone who works in N&D on an N&D podcast. But, um, yeah, I just I just think so much of it is complete nonsense. But, <clears throat> yeah,
0: hopefully we'll get an opportunity to justify my position on that, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, yes, we will. Oh, don't you worry, okay, I've got okay. that mapped out already. Great. Um, so, I mean, yeah, may- maybe this is a good opportunity, you know, you know i know you pretty well um but maybe mm. some of our some of our guests don't know who you are so maybe if you could give yeah. us a bit of a a whistle stop tour of kind of kind of who you are where you've come from and, and where you are right now would be great
1: yeah okay um i think one of the one of the most important things to um to kind of set uh set the boundaries for upfront is that although i might come come across as kind of a bit of a twat i think actually i would say mostly people when they work with me realize that i do i am trying to do the right thing and that that i'm not one um but it is i think it is worth saying that that i come across come kind of can come across quite provocative and um childish and uh i think in some ways i am but also uh, i am generally trying to do the right thing and um uh, and kind of help people which is really what what I'm trying to do in my in my work so that's probably an important piece of context um but I oh god do you need to know my career or is that boring no let's do it let's do it okay so um I've moved career I moved jobs sorry once every three uh three years or less um and the reason for that is I feel like after about two years and I understand how the game is played within any business I get bored and I move on somewhere else where there's a new game and a new challenge or new new people to kind of understand because I think every culture becomes a bit like a um, well you you become assimilated from you in know into a company culture and once you're assimilated it's very difficult to have perswe- perspective and awareness on um who you are and what you're doing uh, and that sort of thing so um I've moved from uh, a because uh, experiential marketing to bp to pa consulting i had a short time at freeformers um and then i'm now at performance consultants which is a a company that basically does culture change through the application of
0: coaching um so that's that's my kind of thread okay okay that was a that was a good whistle stop tour to be honest so i actually want to know a little bit more about kind of where you are right now so you know i would Considering we're friends, I don't really know too much about where you actually are. Um what's physically where I am? No, not physically where you are. I can see you, <laughs> probably, no. Um kind of like, yeah, you know, professionally where where kind of performance consulting, but how how did this come across kind of what what's the kind of cool stuff bear up to or you're up to? Um I think I'm
1: frankly the the cool stuff I'm working on is mainly ideas. Um I'm doing some. I'm basically working on a digital product uh, to support the flagship program that this company offers. Um, performance consultants offers, which is called Coaching for Performance, which is based on the original, really the original business coaching book by a guy called Sir John Whitmore. So, um, it's it's been running for like 30 years. Um, and this coaching program has been refined to more or less perfection and we get NPS scores of a hundred and stuff like that. And um, but what, you know, before I joined, what hasn't been done really is, is thinking about scalability of that program and the, you know, the core skills related to coaching, um, and performance. So what I'm working on is ways to ways to scale. Um, what I'm super interested in, if I'm honest is AI, because, um, I worked with Nick Shackleton-Jones at BP and PA Consulting, and and at the time, both at BP and PA, we were building uh, responsive websites, you know, and it's the stuff that you see on like Loop and other, um, you know, other kind of platforms which build themselves as kind of learning experience platforms instead of learning management systems. But in any case, the the challenge I think is that it's not habitual for people to use these platforms. So whether you build a really nice looking platform with some great content on it, it's not habitual for people to go and access the content. So what really needs to happen is that there's a system in which the content is proactively pushed towards the end user, which is where the AI system comes in. So what I'm what I'm interested in really is whether you can nudge people in the right direction to kind of become better leaders um, by applying coaching skills. So that's really what I'm about at the moment.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. So, I mean, one of the interesting things which I find and I, I want to touch upon the thing which you mentioned earlier, the, the conference, which you've got coming up as well. Um, yeah. But what I find interesting is your kind of career paths, one which I think a lot of people in LD go the opposite way. So, like, for me personally, I was, a while back, I was looking at how do I get back, how do I get into experiential marketing? Because for me, that's where I can be this creative ideator and, and come up with these ideas and understand people better. But you've kind of gone from that into where you are now. So, I mean, what skill set? Yeah, yeah. yeah Why? That's cool with that? That? Why? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. So, um, one thing that I, I recognised working in marketing was that you, you kind of realise how pointless um, capitalism is. So you're basically working for big clients. You have lots of money, pumping money into marketing, um, and basically what you're selling is oil and gas or, you know, um, shit that people don't need. And it becomes very sort of soulless as an existence. Um, and I would say the other person that's done the same move as me is Gemma Critchley, who used to work at um, First Direct and other companies like that doing digital marketing. So um I had a I had a, a go at the marketing stuff. And although I'm, I'm very kind of envious of the life, frankly, that my wife has, you know, being taken out by these great companies, um, all these amazing awards do, so she goes to, I'm um, actually... <clears throat> I find I find that pur- the purpose of what I'm doing is more important than than all that kind of fun stuff. So I want to feel like I'm making a difference, um, and you don't get that so much in marketing unless you're working for a company that you believe in the mission of, um, and actually, as an a- in an agency world, you don't get that you don't get that option. It's usually, you work for whoever you're told to work for. So that's kind of why I think I don't still work in marketing and, and moved away from it and um, there's also probably something around the fact that I was pretty crap at it so um, I was it was it was my first job really out of out of uni and um, I had a manager who was uh, let's say she had high standards and I was quite inexperienced so she basically crushed my spirit made me hate myself and uh, and as soon as Nick came along with the offer to come and work go and work for BP and um and pay me three times as much I
0: was like yep I think I'll take that offer (laughs) so that's the uh that's the story you know what I think I think it's interesting you mentioned about kind of being able to get behind the mission if you like um especially like you say with consultants you know when you're working with different different clients so many different clients I think you find yourself quite a lot going I don't even agree with what's going on here and and actually what we're telling our client our customers isn't even the right thing for them I mean this is probably a question which I haven't even prepped for but did you find that in, have you found that in previous employees that you kind of end up selling something which probably wouldn't be the best for them? or maybe it's just a case of you just haven't been given enough time to really understand it
1: I think that's the case with most most um, consultants really um, but well, I think with consultancy, at least you feel like you can help them because you're, you know, you're a body on the ground. You, ha- you know, you have a perspective on what can be done to make stuff better. Oftentimes, the limiting factor is money. So, um, if you know, I'd go into a company, I'd design a kind of end-to-end experience design with some digital stuff, which I think would make a difference. And then they say, well, we can only afford to do this classroom bit, so you end up doing the classroom, um, and it's not it doesn't have the impact that you'd like but it's still better than what they would have done if they'd gone elsewhere so there's that um there's that kind of perspective on it I think but yeah I think unless you're in your own business and you, unless you you know um you have you have the power to make those kind of decisions and frankly you don't you're not living on the bread line and you don't have to take those jobs yeah you do always end up working for people you don't really want to work for but that's you know that's the safety of working for a company, I suppose, instead of for yourself.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I found something recently. Well, I say recently, probably my last client where they came to us and it was like we need X, Y, Z, and um, basically what they needed was a community. That's literally what they needed. They thought we needed an LMS or we needed this. I'm like, no, you don't need that. You just need a better way of collaborating and communicating with each other, and um and when i was on this skype call with him i was like i see you using slack you're asking us to build the equivalent of slack when you're already using it i was like why are you asking us to build something when you're already using it oh our business won't sign off on slack i'm like wow so your users the people have already figured around the patch to get around their frustration and now the business will come in and go let's ignore everything what our people have figured out for themselves and let's give them something what we think we want rather than what we do want Mm.
1: well yeah I, I can't imagine I don't know what company you're talking about but I imagine it's a fairly hierarchical culture is dependent so people just do what they're told and usually the only way to get around that is frankly to go and speak to the boss um, and say look boss this is what's going on will you help me sign it off it's all political bullshit and actually that's why I've I've gone from I don't know if you noticed, and there was also a trajectory in my career where was, at one point I kind of peaked at size at BP and then went down to PA, which is smaller than that, and then went down to performance consultants, which is, um, well, we've got an associate, a global associate group of a big, you know, it's a big company in that sense, because they're associates, they're not, um, you know, they're not directly employed, so actually the core team's only 12, but um, it, it, that kind of culture, <clears throat> that kind of corporate culture, where it's, it's constantly political, and, you know, backstabbing and, um, and kind of this whole veneer of, um, civilization where everyone's being passive aggressive, <laughs> just, just finds my gears, to be honest. So I got out of that.
0: It's just a waste of time and energy. I think, you know,
1: it, um, is. it makes people anxious as well. Maybe pe- people, people are stressed. The reason mindfulness and, and meditation is becoming so popular is because people spend half their time stressed and anxious by, by subtext. And it's ironic. Um, and uh yeah it's it's just sad to see people when they're in that kind of that kind of cage their mental cage <clears throat> so um so i'd say if you're if you feel like you're in that mental cage maybe get out and do something else
0: it's it's an interesting one i think i was having this conversation with bridge the other day actually And i was like you know when you see all these companies putting in their values and behaviors and like fundamentally their values and behaviors what they're putting in place is we we get so far in this in this culture environment that we have to put filters over every single thing we say. And then by the end, by the time you put X amount of filters over what you're saying, it's fundamentally twisting your words to not be what what they intended to be originally. And it gets you so rattled up and tightened inside But that's where, like you say, the mind, this mindfulness and this mental well-being is becoming high because we, we're told we've got to put so many filters on this, this thing what we want to say. Why can I not turn around and say, well, actually, what you've just done there is a dick move? And, and maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being a bit over the top, but you explain to me why it's not a dick move. Like it's, it's just, I don't yeah. know.
1: Well, I spend half, you know, as, as a Brit, I spend, you know, a huge percentage of my time trying to suppress other f- emotions that I don't need. I don't need to spend my whole time also suppressing my speech <laughs> at work as well. So, I mean, I, I've, I guess I've always been known slightly, as, as slightly abrasive or provocative because actually I don't filter what I say in many time, many, in many cases, I know how to play the game if I'm going to meet a new client you know I'll put on a show I'll shake hands I'll smile I'll laugh at their jokes um but when it comes down to actually day-to-day working with with a client they'll they'll quickly learn that I tend to be fairly authentic and just say what I mean or say what I think and actually generally that's and that there's obviously outliers of people that disagree with this but generally that's worked quite well for me in the sense that you know I have managed to be more or less be true to what I believe and whether or not that's right or wrong Generally speaking, clients have, have kind of um, have liked that approach. So, but actually, I also think it may have, may have something to do with the fact that I'm kind of blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white, middle-class bloke. If I was, you know, I'm also in a very <laughs> uh, a very fortunate demographic in where where I say what I mean, and people don't, you know, think I'm a complete tit, although many people do. So, uh, so something to be <laughs> <slowly> aware. <laughs>
0: I think it's it's interesting though. I think um it it is refreshing to hear that. I have always I've said it loads of times. I'd rather me think somebody's a dick for them being authentic and and knowing where you stand with them. Give me give me someone who I know where I stand with them and they won't go around bitching behind my back or this and that. I will take that any day over this kind of face to face, you know, like you say veneer of, Oh yeah, we're friends but behind closed doors trying to one up you or whatever else. So I think you know, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from with it. You know, I think it's always best to be authentic. At least as long as you can sleep at night, you know, that's the most important thing that you've been true to you and, and and what you're about. I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm I'm certainly not um, a Buddhist, but uh, I did some reading around Buddhism because this, there was certainly something that um, attracted to me attracted me to this idea that. Um, desire is the source of all unhappiness and actually having done a bit of reading around it and understood some of the central philosophy around it I think the the idea that you can only be happy if you're happy with what's going on inside is definitely something that I I buy into so actually what that does is release you from this constant need to be um, validated by other people or validated by what you own and things like that so um, that's kind of core to the way I think about how i operate in in business in the sense that i'm not constantly chasing um i don't feel like i'm constantly chasing the um uh yeah the 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 kind of external
0: external game the next big thing the next yeah the next new iphone the next this the next that yeah exactly i mean i'm
1: wearing ted baker shoes that i've owned for about four years um I managed to buy some new ones last week, which still haven't arrived, but they were 32 pounds on a second, you know, a second-hand site and that's fine by me. They do the job of the shoe. So (laughs) (laughs) that said, said, I do want to, you know, that said, there's also a limit to how much, you know, I want to earn good money and I want to, you know, have, have freedom to, you know, drink lots of booze with my pals at music festivals and, you know, go on nice holidays with my wife and other stuff. So
0: I think, um, Joe Rogan nails this. He likes having fucking money. Like, I like the idea of that. Like, just having enough money so that you can just go and try things and experiment with stuff and just think, actually, you know what? It's money what I can I can not blow, but it's where I don't have to worry about it. All. I can't afford to do that idea what I want to do because if it goes wrong, then I can't pay for my mortgage. I like the idea of that, but obviously I'm far, far away from Joe Rogan. I think
1: Joe Rogan has probably got so much money he's, he doesn't know what to do with himself. But, um, yeah... I mean, there is something about. I always share this anecdote. I always used to, when I certainly when I was working in marketing and getting paid fuck all basically. Um, you know, I'd always I always used to buy the cheapest sandwich in Sainsbury's. Like you know, when you go to the Sainsbury's and you've got like a whole range of different ones. They do like the super super nice ones, which are like I don't know three quid. Then you've got like medium ones, which are like two fifty, and then you've got the shit ones, which are like and they are pound twenty. And I always used to buy the pound 20 ones because I'd always be you know, pinching pennies basically, and sure, I could have stopped drinking uh, or done something, you know, to to kind of cur- curtail my spending. But at the same time, I got to a point where, I, when I was earning enough to like, um, you know, buy buy the three pound sandwich, that was a big deal for me because <laughs> yeah. I could go to the shop and be like, you know, what I don't have to worry about buying a three pound sandwich. I can, <laughs> you know, I can I can live with that, and that's even that day-to-day makes me feel good about, you know, the money that I'm earning. And it's not, you know, tons, but it's enough to, to feel comfortable, so.
0: Yeah, and and I guess, yeah, let me just kind of justify that, just building on that. So I've only recently got into a job where I kind of, I'm very similar to what you just mentioned there, kind of, you know, being able to buy a fifty sandwich. Um, and it is, like, like I don't want any, it's weird to say I don't want any more money than what I've got. But right now, like I'm not chasing an extra 10 grand or an extra 15 grand I'm I'm, I'm I like being content I don't I don't want because I think with more money like you know like um, um P did said more money more problems and I think um that's kind of what I think I think you you once you start clawing for that money and kind of you, you do get more stress and more pressure and then at some point you've got to go actually is that money really worth this value in life what disappears due to it
1: yeah, I think it's weird, though, because I had a conversation with my mother-in-law. You know, I have conversations with your mother-in-law and you're like, I completely disagree with what you're saying, but because you're my mother-in-law, I have to kind of humor you. So I had this, mm. one of these conversations, I hope she's not listening to this, I had one of these conversations <laughs> on Saturday where she was like, I just don't get it. Like, We've got this doctor who um, who works, works for us and he just doesn't want to work full time. He wants to go home at 5.30 every day and he wants to work three days a week. And, you know, he talks about this work-life balance thing. Um, and we're like, and, and and I'm like, well, you know, you should work work long hours because then you get the experience make you a better doctor. But for me, that, you know, th- there was no, there was nothing wrong at all with that doctor saying, you know, I want to work three days a week because work-life balance is important. And what he's decided is it's more important to spend time with his new family than it is to, you know, become the best doctor he can ever be. Um, he's obviously not ambitious to be, you know, to be a partner or whatever it is. So that's a legitimate position on 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 the on the value of work for him. But I think people of a slightly older generation have a very different perspective on it, which is that, you know, frankly, um, in many cases, you know, people felt, felt almost well, they they were certainly um, what's the word I'm looking for. <clears throat> They were great, very grateful to have the job that they had, and they would stay in that job for as long as they could keep that job. Um, and I think, ah, I, I don't know what your view is, but my perspective is slightly different, which is that um, I'm a commodity to a business. And if I'm confident enough in my own skills, and I'm progressive and ambitious enough in, in developing my own skills, and actually I become the asset that the that the company needs, so they should be coming to me, and they should be grateful to have me. Now, that's a very different, you know, a different view in the world of the talent war that it was in my parents generation who were kind of much more um uh conservative about you know when they moved jobs and and, and all that kind of stuff so i know same saying for everyone but i think that's certainly true for me and, and my friends and stuff
0: and yeah i'm the exact same child so i think um i remember when i walked out of a, a job um probably after about a week and my mom was like oh my god you you know, you can't you can't be walking out of a job. I'm like, why? My skill set is good enough. I know for a fact I'm going to find another job. And then I, it is that mindset. And it, I think if you don't explain it, it can seem a bit egoy, But I'm with you on that. It kind of, you you are the asset. You know, businesses are lucky to get people who have the skill sets what we have. So, and don't get me wrong, we're not hitmen or anything. But it's like, it's it's like um, we do have we do have a skill set which is is quite organic it can move it can go you know it can be different things in different areas. but I think when you look at kind of you know the older generation, their skill set was very task do task 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 and they probably you know they didn't have that and that's probably where it came. they had to be in that job for the rest of their lives. Um, but I am with you on that kind of it. it is that mindset of if I walk out this job tomorrow, ideally I've got a skill set and the knowledge and past projects to kind of walk into the next one. And they are lucky to have me as much as i am to them
1: yeah i think interviews are as much about interviewing a company as, as in you, know, you being interviewed so um so yeah i think it's uh, it's a changing mindset and you know people talk about the gig economy and stuff like that um and it's 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 a mindset more than you know more than a um more than a structure i think so um I think the mindset that people have nowadays is they want to just do lots of different projects. And actually, the network that we have now um, is kind of is, is how those how that gig economy works in the sense that you know the network is a group of people that I trust, that you trust. If I had a job and I needed some work doing around L&D consultancy, I would get them in, and they would help you know, deliver the project. And I trust them implicitly to do that. So that's you know these little pools and communities that you're certainly active in setting up you know, it is kind of real, realising this reality of, um, you know, that allows people to move fluidly between companies. And actually for big companies that are kind of built and recruitment processes that are built around retaining talent for two, three, five, six, whatever, long years,
0: that's actually becoming more more unrealistic. Um, so, yeah. I think, I think it becomes unrealistic and actually it becomes a risk. Because the yeah. last thing I want to do is keep people in my business for six years if they're, if they're becoming stalemate. they just can't yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, disappear. I think I think it's Zappos who who offer their, their people if you want to leave. We'll give you 10 grand if you want to leave. And just think that, you know, it's good that they want to stay, but, you know, it's this whole thing of this values and behaviours again. Like, why do I want loads of people to come into my business who all have the same values and behaviours? Where does the inclusive and new ideas of diversity come into it it kind of becomes its own blocker, I think, somewhere down the line.
1: Mm. Well it becomes it's it's actually less that they have the values because I think the values are so kind of generic that everyone would say, Yeah, I kind of the value of respect is something that chimes with me. I don't you know you don't employ people who who don't value respect as a value. But it's more like it's more about the fact that you're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> so you're not allowed to challenge the value or challenge the way that they're worded. Um, and it becomes a kind of a, a, you know, command and control, um, you know, template basically, which is like, these are our values. If you don't subscribe to these values and you say, well, you know, the value of courage, I'm not sure whether that works for me. I prefer something like bravery as a word because that's, you know, I believe into kind of taking, you know, taking risks in this way or something like that. It's like, well, no, that's not our value. Our value is courage. (laughs) So, um, so it's a way—it's a way of commanding and controlling, um, and and kind of create as you say, creating a, a standard standardizing the way people think about the work that they're doing in in a particular company.
0: Um, in my view, but I'm you know I'm probably wrong, and there's probably plenty of people who disagree. But I think it's good to be wrong, so it's fine. It's it's all good. I think it is that it's that there's so much nuance between the value and how I perceive it to how you perceive it anyway. So it becomes this pointless task anyway. Um, But actually, kind of, I want to jump back into your your tagline. So, kind of, getting pissed, having fun. And, um, no, it was working for fun and getting pissed with your mates. So, break this down. Break it down to me, Charlie. Like, we've kind of semi-already touched upon it in a way. But, you know, this kind of, is it, you know, I think, like you mentioned, your marriage and stuff. And, kind of, I've seen it with past friends. They get married and, kind of, they, dis- they disappear um and you can probably see once to the blue moon but I take it kind of friendship and having that kind of you know staying with them friends throughout is is, is massively important to you i take it it isn't it isn't um i've actually uh, what i
1: would say is that i didn't you know it wasn't like i've had friends all my life that i've stayed in touch with so certainly at school and stuff um i've only really retained sort of one or two friends from that time i d- didn't enjoy school um, I, I was constantly anxious and stressed, wanted to be cool, um, didn't understand what that meant, all this kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, so so I wouldn't say it's that. It's more about, um, uh, I think, when you're having fun with people, it's the, it's the only time you really get to see them, you know, with their guard down and actually, and, and, you know, potentially be vulnerable or whatever and actually just, you know, when people are having fun, I think, that's when their personalities you know really blossom awesome and and you get to you get to enjoy people's company more and um i think the more people are the more people are uh, expect work to be a certain way and to be in a kind of corporate robot um mode i think the less the less you really see the real person so i guess that's why fun is so important to me and um and actually although i'm not constantly having it you know all the time at work or even at home I really just value. I really value the opportunities to to have fun with people. Um, yeah, and getting pissed with my mates. I guess it's another example of, of how of of where you're where you're seeing people's people without their filters on. So um, you know, <clears throat> totally respect people who don't drink. I've many times I've had hangovers and wish I didn't. Um, but at the same time, there's something about um, you know going to the pub letting you know letting off some steam losing some inhibitions um you know and again it's about being yourself and being you know being who you are and not not having filters so so I guess there is a there is a kind of a relevant L&D theme running up running through it which is and I can't remember who it was I think it might have been um David James from Loop posted something about um uh, I can't remember what relation it was to, to to L&D and fun but I said, you know, at the end of the day, if there was a, an, a, a department in charge of fun in many big companies, and that was their their role, they probably had a big, they probably have a bigger impact than L&D in many cases, because we we're talking about engagement and actually um, allowing people to be themselves and have fun is, I think, a really important part of work. Um, and I know that's, that's not necessarily a, a view held by everybody, but I think more and more p- for people my age, it is. Um, So yeah, watch this space. Department of Fun coming,
0: coming soon. So I think that's a cracking idea. And I was kind of lucky to manage said team um, years ago in my career. It was at a call center, Um, and it was it was that the the department what you had the fun department. This was called the tag department, Um, and it was about it was fundamentally about that kind of how can we make fun work? How can we make work fun? because, you know, fundamentally these people are on call centers, nine till five, dealing yeah. with customers, where, you know, how can we kind of have fun? And it was, they ended up becoming the voice which had more stay than most of the managers. You know, yeah. y- you end up having this pull because you had this advisor back in and it was like, they actually generally care about us rather than this fake kind of cover of us, you know. But I think it's a it's a, it's a great shout. So.
1: Yeah, but there is a huge. I mean, there are people in in businesses that fear fun because um, it's not a it's not a it's not a process. Um, <laughs> so I won't name names, but someone quite close to us was trying to sort of psychoanalyze, um, not psychoanalyze, but was was trying to understand <laughs> the, the formula that made the a particular event that we attended recently um, a fun event. <laughs> um and uh and and for me for me it's as much about just sort of having fun yourself and role modeling that enjoyment experience and and lack of filters um and but for people who who kind of theorize about stuff it can be very difficult to kind of live in the moment so maybe it's something that's uh, the extroverts <laughs> particularly um particularly like that kind of fluidity but actually um i've seen lots of introverts have fun as well so i don't think it that's necessarily a fair
0: yeah
1: uh, fair assumption
0: but it's, um it's a good shout, but yeah it's a good shout i think just going back to when we went out it was for the mindship meetup. when we went out afterwards like yeah we, we went out we got hammered and, yeah we got spanned <laughs> like setting the bar on fire and stuff like that and i just think that's fundamentally you you, you wouldn't get to see that in a lot of you know i don't think the opportunity is there for that you know when you look at say corporate environments and stuff like that you know how even when you go out on a team night out and i'm doing bunny ears nobody can see me but even when you go on a team night out there's still a limitation to kind of i think they still have it going on in the back of the mind to a point yeah and
1: then the, the other thing about it is there's no hierarchy at a party so <laughs> so you go you go out with your you go out with a boss, and you know, your boss. And I, I don't get me wrong; I completely understand why your boss isn't the drunkest person at the party. They need to maintain this kind of this this veneer of leadership, which I completely I completely get that. Um, and actually, that's why you don't invite your boss to your parties. But um, <laughs> but <clears throat> there is something about um, yeah, there is something about that in terms of even a, even an office party can be can be quite stilted, and everyone's still got their mask on um I also I would also probably caveat to this to say I feel like most people like most of what people do and I'm doing this to to some extent now is just try to is try to reproduce or create the thing that they that suits them perfectly so the the kind of world I'm describing is just the world that I would want to live in and I'm sure that's a world that most other people wouldn't um so I'm just going to recognize that and uh um and say let's try it (laughs) see what
0: happens worst it can happen So, I kind of want to, you know, we kind of talked about events, got hammered, and then we we mentioned the event which you're kind of prepping for now, is it, this week? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you've got time, Charlie, yeah, I'd love to know a little bit about what that actually is. I think we spoke about it briefly at Nick's book launch, and then kind of, we had to get busy and stuff, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's called the Corporate Learnings L&D, sorry, let me start again, it's called the Fourth Annual Corporate L&D Summit, so it's a really catchy catchy title um but it's funny i i originally stood in for nick uh, shackleton jones at a conference a conference that this company ran called the future workplaces event so i turned up with my lnd slides looking to talk about the future you know the future of work and stuff like that um, and uh, it turned out it was lit the literal future workplaces event so everybody there was an architect and <laughs> had absolutely no interest or understanding about lnd but fortunately i was the last speaker on the last day uh, and everyone was fed up about talking about buildings so actually my talk went down very well and uh now i was invited to chair this conference but it was the first annual corporate l summit um, and now we're on the fourth so um i've basically chaired it every year and every year they've flown me out to you know the exotic part of europe like lisbon a couple of years ago barcelona again last year this year it's in barcelona again um and it's kind of gone from strength to strength in a way and i've had you know i've been had the opportunity to in some ways, shape it. Um, I think when you're chairing a conference, you're uh, you're kind of a and you're basically the source of energy for for the conference. Um, and although I can be quite dour and, and low energy a lot of the time, actually when I'm in kind of acting mode, I can be quite energetic and fun. So um, basically, I, I bring the party to the <laughs> to the event. And um, yeah, and it's good. There'll be lots of kind of senior, you know, ND folks, specialists there, and my boss is coming over to do a talk about coaching culture and large organisations. Um, so yeah, that's what it is. That's what I'll be doing.
0: Cool. I think there is a need for. Um, I know. I think we we've spoke about this in the past, and kind of this is where I think the Mindchimp events kind of idea come from from a while ago. And you're doing this. I think there is a need for a new. You know, and we have spoke about this, but a need for a new D event and and i don't even think it needs to be the there's a need for an immersive event there is a need for it i think oh but i don't know if there's a need for it or just because i want to do it well this is it. it's coming back to my point earlier about people just basically want to do what
1: they want to do <laughs> and some people go along with it i would say yeah i mean i agree i think um I mean, whenever I speak to anyone in L&D outside of the actual events, people just basically say, "Oh, these events are so boring. Why do I keep going?" And the reason you go is because you have you know networks there you want to see. Um, so what I'm what I'm more interested in is basically just saying, All right, how can we have a lot of fun um, and have the people there that you want to chat to? Um, and uh, and it's you know it doesn't have to be a, a conference. Um, you know, conferences are generally quite boring. Um, so what I prefer to do is basically just to piss up with some, you know, something interesting going on. Um, we had the we had the book launch, next book launch the other week. I'm thinking of doing something a similar kind of event this time with the, around the theme of magic. So I might get some magicians in who can teach us a few tricks um, and uh, and talk about magic and kind of some of the some of the principles of it. And then <clears throat> the rest of the time it will just be us kind of having a good time, drinking too much beer and you know, we'll end up in the kebab shop again, you know? So, um, so that's the, you know, so, so yeah. But I think there's there's always gonna be a place for, for people who, you know, want to operate within within the confines of a, you know, corporate style organized conference where they know how to play the game and they know what to say at what point. And, um, and it's generally people that struggle with, uh, you know the, the, the fluidity of, of in kind of a social party type environment. Yeah, safer and securer. Yeah, which is fine. And you know, there's again respect to those people. You need people that that want to do that. Um, but I'm not one of those people.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I want to get a li- want to get kind of a little bit more about kind of. These questions can be. They can be buzz questions. They can be yeah. fire round. They can be as deep as you want to get with me, really, Charlie. But we all have this CV, this CV where we're like, this is me. This is everything I've done. I'm so good, so good. Here, Mr. Employee, take me on. But actually, I think, you know, when it comes to better interviews, you know, it would be best if the, if the interviewer turned around and said, actually, show me your failure resume or failure <laughs> CV. Um, oh, so many. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I guess just building on that, kind of what's, what would be the two biggest things what would be the two and i'm gonna say this really good i say really good what's your two positive failures on what would be on your failure resume ah oh, best failures um
1: my first my first best failure i think was i was a bp it was probably the first week i was there i was basically hired to do a role i had no idea what i was doing so i was hired, as, hired as, and people at bp won't be surprised by this um, I was hired as a community engagement manager, which was quite forward thinking um, at the time because it was basically about how I could build social learning communities. Um, and obviously I had some, some marketing background, but it was you know, basically event marketing. I don't know whether or not Nick knew the difference to be honest, but in any case, um, I did some social media stuff uh, and uh, I did a presentation to the whole team, team of people like Reben Bath and Morton Bond, um, Babs, Uh, Barbara Thompson uh, as Babs and um and it was just dog shit rubbish presentation and just showed everybody that I knew nothing about the subject that I'd been hard or the thing I'd been hard to do so I kind of like started out um as you do and uh Nick took me aside afterwards and was like and took me into a room was like so how do you think that went classic coaching question and uh and I was like yeah, don't worry. I understand. I've, you know, I felt the vibes. I knew exactly what happened there. Um, and so Nick was like, "Yep." So, um, so here are some things. Here are three things you can do that are going to help you um, <laughs> the, uh, in this role. Number one is reading books. <laughs> 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 and uh, and yeah, I took his advice. I read some books, and then I slowly began to sound like I knew what I was talking about. Um, and yeah, I still read books today, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, and, and actually a lot of the stuff that I learned through Nick at BP, um, you know, actually the, the books that Nick would have read, like the design of Everyth- everyday things um, and books around design thinking and stuff gave birth to some of the models like the 5DI model, which is basically design thinking but applied to L&D. Um, and I reckon, you know, given enough time and given enough uh, reading, I could have probably come up with the same idea. So, what I'm, what what I kind of from that experience really is that, yeah, books are important. Um, they're not great performance support, but what they do do is is kind of stimulate thinking and reflection, and you can come up with new ideas and and connect different ideas from different books. So, um, that was a good failure. I enjoyed that that failure. Um, <clears throat> second failure uh probably a recent one actually so um i came to came to this company and uh, uh i <clears throat> i basically sort of ran around trying to fix stuff as quickly as possible one of the things i tried to fix as quickly as possible was the website um and uh and i was basically it was making me anxious the fact that the website was looking a bit outdated and needed some upgrading so I, I moved as quickly as possible to implement a new design and build of a new website from scratch in three months, um, and uh, was it was it two months? In any case, too quickly. Um, we moved. We used a tool, a well-known tool, um, which later we discovered um, kind of let us down. But in any case, we we kind of dropped in the SEO rankings, which was our kind of main um, source of inquiry, by about. I don't know, thirty percent, twenty percent, thirty percent, and I think that had a, an adverse effect on the on the business and the pipe, business pipeline, and that actually is certainly not ideal for a company of this size. So, um, yeah, so that was a, a kind of a failure which had a direct impact on you know on the business, and uh, I had to kind of suck it up and eat some humble pie and recognize that I uh, I'd kind of moved too quickly. I'd kind of railroaded a lot of um, A lot of other people's views in the in that process and uh it was a kind of useful reminder for me to not be a a tit as i described earlier so yeah that's a a more recent one
0: okay okay and i guess maybe just flipping this on its head so what's been your your most recent personal success good question I know you. I know which one I think it is, but obviously, I wouldn't use. Yeah,
1: I mean, if I'm honest personally, I would say that I um, I had a boxing match last year. It was my first boxing match. Um, I did it for charity. It was eight weeks of training, um, and then, um, and then a fight at the end, a white collar fight. So you have you wearing quite paddy gloves with a helmet and stuff. But uh, it was in front of a crowd of probably I don't know, five hundred people at the Troxy in East London. Um, never had a fight in my entire life so you can imagine <clears throat> what I felt like going on to going into the stepping into the ring um, but uh, but yeah I loved it I won um, I learned a huge about about myself and I also kind of um, o- overcame a kind of concern or not concern but I overcame a kind of assumption that I was a bit of a coward and I would have shied away from a fight but uh you know, actually it kind of worked out, it worked out good. Um, And uh, it worked out good. That's not good English, is it? Oh God, I'm never going to let that one down. Um, It worked out well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I learned, I learned a lot from it, but I I guess there's um, what, what I also found interesting about that that process is when you see like boxes and stuff, giving it the big one and sort of saying, Oh, I'm going to knock him out and all this kind of stuff. I always assumed it was just a kind of show. But um, actually what I discovered was it's as much about their own psychology and how they think about, you know, going into those kind of, in, you know, situations and it's as much about their own ability to overcome the fear and the anxiety as it is about the other person. So, um, so when if a friend would ask me, you know, a week before, so how, you know, are you feeling confident, how's it going to go? I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to fucking knock him out. <laughs> and I'm not an aggressive person. I would never usually talk like that. But in that scenario, in that scenario, when you've got something, you know, as serious as a fight planned in your diary, your your psychology is to to block out any kind of anxiety or or or, or doubt. So doubt is doubt is your enemy in that scenario. And that's actually something that I learned um, about bravado, in particularly in boxing, but in other sports. And that for me, it was quite an interesting insight.
0: Mixed martial arts, I've done mixed martial arts probably before the UFC became massive as it is now, um, and, you know, I know a couple of, prob- yeah, pro, pro, um, I don't want to use the word cage fighter, but let's just use it anyway, um, and it's it's interesting how many of them actually have kind of mental coaches, um, yeah. you know, someone like Conor McGregor, he has a mental warfare coach, I'm not sure if you know about that. So he has solved yeah. the, just a coach on how to. So you know when you see Conor McGregor at these you know press conferences, it's all about belittling them yeah. and, and destroying them personally and whatever. Yeah, Conor McGregor has an actual personal coach who will teach him how to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it, it seems crazy to me that not that every sportsman doesn't have a coach because it's as much. I mean, I'm not bringing it right back into the depth of of d and coaching. But the whole the whole basis of the work that I do at this business I'm you know a performance consultant is that it's based on a book called The Inner Game by a guy called Tim Galway who's it's basically a psychology book about how you overcome the the, the kind of opponent in your own head and so you know you see it every day in football and rugby and cricket, whatever it is, you know the you know the typical England collapse or you know the the comeback kid, and all these kind of you know stories, the great stories you get from through different sports are are all down to you know psychology. and the the idea that the very thoughts that people wouldn't train their minds as they train their bodies to me sounds it just seems incredibly naive. So yeah, I think everybody, if they don't already, if you're a sportsman listening to this and you don't already have a sports coach for your mind, then uh, sort your shit out and get one.
0: And then then the second question would be, why listen to an RD podcast, sportsman? (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. Stick with what you stick with what you good at. (laughs) No, you don't want to be here. You want to be doing sport.
0: Um, Hundred percent. Okay, so if you was to give a gift to five people of a book, what book? would you give and why i would give them how people learn by nick shackleton jones Oh, (laughs) (laughs) boom!
1: now in all seriousness it is a great book um and uh, i would give it as a gift because it's new but also it's uh it's story driven so it's not boring there's some really good embarrassing stories in which amuse me because it's nick and also um i think it's yeah i think it just completely revolutionizes the way people think about You know the brain language and emotion and i think that's uh it's very important that you give it a read so you can give me the cash afterwards
0: okay i'll put um, an amazon link in there so then you can click through that and i'll make some money off nick's book that'd be great um so this is my favorite question really one of my favorite ones but the billboard question you know you've got a billboard and a million people are going to leave the stadium and are going to see that billboard what is it you'd put on that billboard? I mean, um,
1: I don't know. Probably some kind of inspiring quote, or you know, some kind of, you know, you know. I I can't think of a specific one. But you know, in the tube now in London, they have little whiteboards, and it must be the the uh, the staff there put on little quotes, um, you know, just to, reflection quotes to help you kind of, you know think about your day and uh or consider other people or whatever it is so it's something be be something along those lines i think i don't know i can't think of an exact quote but something that just gives people a little a little lift and helps them connect with other people a bit better
0: okay okay so i want to go back and for some reason i'm keen on, on knowing kind of a little bit more about my guests and i think it's really interesting when we talk especially kind of you mentioned that we've nick and memory and experience and all of what happens for that to be recalled but i guess can you remember the first time you was in trouble and what did you do
1: mm-hmm. yes i can well i remember one of the times i was in trouble and i was in trouble a fair bit um actually that's a lie i was a complete goody goody don't <laughs> believe don't believe me um no but one of the times was um my mum. my mum was quite talkative I always thought she was quite talkative when I was a two year old. Um, I must have been about two or three because, as, as the story will reveal, so um, I was waiting on the bottom of the stairs in my house in Ivybridge, which is in Devon, uh, with my mate Daniel Thompson, who I went to secondary school with a, a while back um, as well. And, uh, and my mum was chatting to our, our kind of childminder, Jane Denley. Shout out to Jane Denley. Um, and uh, and they were they were going on a bit too long, so I decided me and Daniel decided that we were gonna gonna walk to school. So off we went. It was probably about three miles away, <clears throat> and we got about probably three quarters away up, just as so we were going up to the hill to the to the nursery. And then for whatever reason, we decided it was probably a good idea to turn around and go back again. Um, and about hundred meters away from uh, from the house. My dad came screaming past in his uh, his Peugeot 205, or whatever it was, slamming on the brakes. It was like, where the bloody hell have you been? (laughs) And basically they thought we'd been stolen out the front door by the axe murderer. Um, And so um, my mum sort of collected us up and took us up to the nursery school. Um, And I remember I had to stand stand in front of assembly and as... The teachers and my mum basically gave me a dressing down in front of the entire school, and uh, I kind of hid hid my head in between in between my mum's ankles, um, and and wailed. But no, no one would stop giving me a dressing down. So yeah, that was one of my earliest memories of getting in trouble.
0: Okay, okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing! I can actually picture. I don't even know your dad, but I can picture him fuming, raging.
1: Yeah yeah it was right he was raging
0: but uh yeah different parenting techniques those days yeah yeah definitely <laughs> so i guess we, we have we have to kind of talk about learning to a certain point um I, I know we've already done that but i kind of just want to take it more that way for now so recently you did the most recent part the most recent blog post I've seen was about kind of learning design and and not as important as you think do you remember that one
1: I do, yeah, because I was asked about it in an interview for a learning design job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Go this for is a it. yeah, it's a problem where I'm where I'm, on, where I'm honest and provocative, and then people call me up on it. It can be tricky, but yes, I do remember that. I do remember that.
0: So I mean, let's just assume that our our listeners haven't um, haven't listened to it, haven't read it. Sorry, maybe you can give us a bit of a whistle stop tour and kind of what the key pullouts of it was and in fact maybe you can yeah maybe you could set the scene of the role what you went for and kind of why why it provokes the blog post
1: yeah it wasn't really that it was kind of the role i'm in now so um it's spongeparrot.com, by the way if you want to read my blog um so uh so yes no the point the point of the article is very simple which is that um there was a client who we rolled out a program to, which involved far, six hours of, um, of e-learning. And what what was interesting to me about that is I spent probably the last 10 years talking about how traditional, conventional, click-through e-learning is a waste of time and waste of money and all this kind of stuff. But it had an incredible impact on the bottom line and the KPIs of the business. Um, and, and you kind of question it. And you question yourself and everything you believe in when that happens, and you wonder why why that that came about. And the the re, the real reason for it in the end was because um, internally they had some extremely passionate, dedicated champions for the program, um, and and they basically drove it. They drove the change in the business that they wanted to see. And so what that real what I realized from that process was that um, or that story is that actually learning design in many ways, isn't that important in the sense that you can roll out a pile of wank as a learning design, but if you've got the buy-in, you've got the motivation you've got the champions within the organization, the business will change or, or you'll see, you can still achieve your KPIs. So while <clears throat> I think while L and D spends a huge amount of time, well, L and D professionals spend a huge amount of time designing and crafting amazing learning experiences and some that are less, less good. Um, Actually, it's as much about crafting the relationships within the organisation with the stakeholders, with the senior sponsors, and making sure it's you know everybody buys into it as much as it is um, about the actual you know experience that the end user or the learner goes through. So that was really the point of that blog. Whether or not it came across is another question. <laughs> um,
0: no, but yeah, I think it did. Mind. I think it did, and I found it I found it personally really interesting because I think. What we see in kind of in these corporate environments, and I say these as a bit a bad thing, but I, I love corporate. I, I do. I enjoy it, especially when I'm in a, a a good team. um But we kind of always overlook how the cor- the corporate environment is this kind of organism. It, it's kind of this thing. It's this network. You know, years ago we talk about data and how things were exchanged and how stories are told. You know. You can take it all the way back around where we're talking around a fire, you know, back in the day, and kind of this was how how knowledge was transferred and how people heard about heard about stuff and and kind of, but yet in this modern digital age, or if you like, the first thing we do is we switch off the fact that actually the bit like I say the biggest the biggest driver will be the conversations what I had are being had, and kind of actually like I say having these champions these learning heroes but having these having these people who can pr- push promote and tell stories about it
1: yeah yeah so it's, it becomes marketing in a sense um influ- yeah you just call it influencer marketing if you were a marketeer but um yeah it's really about having the, the, the people that can pull the cultural strings behind the project um and uh and that's yeah that's often what makes it makes a difference you know what as good as as good as your learning design is if you haven't got the right you know the right support in the business and you might as well be, you might as well just you know chuck 'em a load of e-learning modules frankly
0: and just say fill your boots fill your boots yeah so so what what I guess this is good, me being asking some provocative questions i guess um Go for it. what problem is it you're trying to you're trying to fix or what is your challenge you're facing right now in L&D. not in your personal life or anything like that I, just did, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: I think it's an identity crisis actually I think the the problem, the problem I'm trying to fix is kind of what's the point of us as an industry um, and I'm not convinced I'm not convinced even you know uh there are some great great people in 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 the industry in which we work who are doing some interesting stuff um but i think the vast majority of of stuff that the industry does is um is probably a waste of time and money so no wonder we don't have a seat at the table and no wonder that you know the finance team don't you know give us cash <laughs> um so yeah i guess that's what, what i'm trying to solve and I, th- I think you know more the the question is whether you try and change change something from the inside or whether you spend spend the time and you know um see so yeah um sorry my colleague's just leaving the office um it, yeah the question is whether you spend time trying to change something from the inside or whether you set up a little you know rebel alliance outside and try and do something completely different and new i think there are pros and cons to both approaches so um yeah i think that's what i'm i'm trying to do
0: okay and maybe this is even more pro- provocative but I I like the word provocative, I'm probably not even using it in the right context, but um, L&D from a social presence, what's your take on that, from a social media presence? Uh,
1: So you're saying what is the the L&D social
0: media presence? Yeah, like what's your take on the learning development social media presence, and that can go across the board
1: yeah so so, um I would say, well, basically, I think that social media is learning, so I don't think you know you you can bucket or 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 box up l and d into a particular thing. If you're talking about what l and d people post about l and d then uh, then I would say that it's uh, I think a lot of social media is kind of one- upmanship. Um, it's basically sales make people seem like they you know they know what they're talking about or they're thinking you know they're leading the way and things like that and i think there's a lot of that that goes on um i'm i'm concerned by the the kind of talking people videoing themselves talking about stuff because they've seen other people do it and don't have a huge amount else to say or any insights to share but it's kind of the way things are done so that slightly annoys me but you know respect if you if you feel like that's the way to get your your message across then go for it um and um I don't know. I, I, I think if we had cool stuff to share, like really cool stuff to share, we would have stuff to share. But <laughs> but at the moment, it just seems like the same arguments just kind of being battered back and forth or reframed. You know, you know the term experience design, for example. I know you use it a lot, which is fine. But again, it it's kind of it's an evolution of basically an evolution of what people have been doing for a long time. And we've just got better models of it now because there's people like Punch Drunk and actually commercially driven, um, experience design companies and agencies that do, uh, you know, that do secret cinema and all these kind of massive, um, amazing immersive uh, events. So, yeah, I don't really feel like LD's moving on a huge amount. I think a lot of people are just nicking, um, or, or repackaging Nick Schacht and Joe's ideas anyway. Um, and uh, yeah i think that's
0: that's where we're at really cool shout out to punch drunk um I, yeah i did i did tell you about the workshop this is going to go out after i've been on it anyway but i can edit this out um did i tell you about that workshop what i'm going on no yeah. you told me you were going on it but you didn't tell me yeah it's um actual. i think it's next week actually oh, yeah so i'm looking forward to that um I, yeah. I've, I've got quite a lot of um experienced designers on so you know the college of extraordinary experience and stuff like that um, just because I think we, not us, me, you, but maybe maybe other people in the industry uh-huh. use experience design, and they use it thinking it's something else, and mm-hmm. that's kind of why why on this season I've got quite a lot of um actual experience designers people who are doing it, mm-hmm. just so that they can kind of share a light on on my it's probably my definition of what it is. Um, but yeah i think yeah i think just kind of like just kind of adding to the point i
1: made earlier about how design is't that important and if you don't have the buy-in and you don't have the the support from the organization all that kind of jazz i think the same applies to experienced design in the sense that um it in a in a culture where or, or in a in a corporate where there are rules of engagement rule you know certain boundaries which are set by role models in the business or leaders or you know legacy culture i think it's very difficult to do anything that's you know that puts people outside of that that box and 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 changes the changes the paradigm or changes the environment um or you know changes the rules of the of, of engagement in a business so i think easily it's quite easy for experience design to start off to either be seen as fatty because it's not doesn't fit within the culture or be seen as Um, or or starts off as experience design and then it gets too chipped away to being something that's quite um, kind of conventional so yeah I don't know I really don't know if experience design in the way that we understand it is possible in you know in in that kind of corporate world I think what might actually be be a, um, a better chance is actually creating experience design as separate events which people from all sorts of different companies can come to you rather than you kind of selling the idea to one to one business i don't know
0: yeah so i completely agree i I think experience design is great i think there's i think we spoke about this in paso i think there's challenges of scale going up and down within the industry like i've always worked from no budget to budget where i think a lot of a lot of people in experience design go well you need to give me lots and lots of budget to do this um so i think there's an argument around kind of cost and And actually how well can you make an experience without money um but i agree i think and this is probably where i was talking about the marketing kind of side things you know i think if there's anything that's going to have an experience design aspect to it it's probably going to be experiential marketing right that's probably as close as you're going to get to it
1: yeah so my my wife used to work at o2 and they did an award-winning experience basically it was called haunted house where they were using um smart technology uh to basically create a haunted house which people would go into and they'd be be scared and they were videoed and all this kind of stuff um but yeah they, that was a you know x million i don't know i don't know how much it was um but a lot of money um to do and you're not going to get that same kind of investment in um you know in the L&D space because actually there's you know people can't prove it's the you know, return on investment as well so um so yeah you, you you get what you're given don't you and you end up you know with the budget that you have, do it, trying your best with what you have. Um, you know, respect that. I, d- I also think there's a limitation, unless you kind of fall onto a genius idea. I think having some budget, <laughs> um, will you know, will if it's spent in the right way, will make a difference. Yeah, so spending money, for example, on actors rather than
0: facilitators, or yeah, um, <laughs> you yeah. know, can make it can make a big difference. Raven Dave, a McLean- so you know i mean shout out to Xo 2 David were days um so i mean yeah i think that's probably what i'll end up doing i think if i'm gonna go anywhere i'll probably end up going towards either kind of experiential marketing or more towards kind of this i enjoy i enjoy this human centered design approach i like ideo and stuff like that that's kind of where i enjoy fixing big problems um but I guess sorry, we went off a tangent. So let's let's do a couple more fire rounds, just because I'm I'm mindful of your time, Charlie. All right, let's do it. Okay, social media: net positive or net negative? Um, right so now the answer is obviously neither.
1: It's both, isn't it? Um, it's it's neither one or the other. I think uh, for me personally, um yeah for me personally i think my my experience of it reflects many you know many of the generalizations of social media which is that i can't i can't actually use instagram because i i can almost feel myself to come in, becoming depressed just looking at it for five minutes because it's just you know beautiful beach you know beautiful people doing beautiful things and i think you know why why is my life so shit, which runs obviously counter to what i was saying earlier about you know understanding that that life is, is kind of lives on the inside um but i'm aware i'm kind of fully aware of that reaction and therefore i don't use it <clears throat> conversely my wife uses it constantly all the time and gets huge pleasure out of watching and seeing what other people are up to so in that way it's kind of horses for courses um i don't play the game much on linkedin and stuff i kind of post stuff and occasionally make comments on things usually provocative comments um <laughs> because i like to see if people get pissed off or not but also I think it's good to challenge convention instead in the status quo. Um, um, yeah. And Facebook, I get a lot of pleasure out of using Facebook because it keeps me connected to my friends. And, um, you know, although I have a fairly fluid, um, evolving friendship group, some of my good, my, my best friends now, I didn't know, you know, two years ago. Um, I, uh, yeah, I also value that interaction and hopefully um, it will avoid me becoming a lonely old grumpy man which i'm kind of already <laughs> so <laughs> so that's uh so that yeah so i think the answer is it's it's kind of it's kind of n- neither good or bad and i think people I think platforms are neither good or bad i think people um determine whether or not they are so
0: okay okay um best festival you've ever been to
1: uh, that's an easy one. Well, actually it's not an easy one. So um I, I did one for my 30th birthday and then I did one for, for my wife's um thirtieth as well, which I called Neen Fest, which was a really catchy title. Nice. Um yeah, which was amazing because obviously you just invite all your mates and uh and have a great time. But um <clears throat> the best festival is is the best festival in, in the UK, which isn't a you know, my own festival is is Shambhala. Um if you've never been, then you are missing out. Uh, it's the same weekend as Leeds and Reading, and uh, I think it's Leeds and Reading and um, and Creamfields, I think. Um, and my 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 philosophy around or my idea around that is that most of the knobs go to those festivals, and therefore there's less knobs that go to Shambhala. So <laughs> you get a really <laughs> nice group of people, um, generally quite kind of um, it might be on the hippie side for many people, but um, yeah, lots of very colorfully dressed people. You know, eating vegetarian food um, and raving until the early hours of the morning. So,
0: sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Okay. Um, three people who you recommend everybody should follow. In fact, let's let's change that question. Who's the three people you recommend people should follow in L and D? And this can be old people who you know everyone knows about. This can be new up and coming people, and or this could even be. People not necessarily in the LD field, but bring something to it. God, yeah. I
1: mean, uh, people. I mean, I follow companies over people generally. So, um, in generally, marketing companies. So, um, the Drum is is the kind of first premium marketing uh, magazine. A publication so if you want to know what's going on in the world of marketing and experience and stuff like that that's a good one um my wife recommended one to me the other day which i've been really enjoying which is called trend watching um so that's basically looking at new stuff and what's you know in various industries and fields um and then i yeah again i'd probably shout out and say nick um sj is a great person to follow he has new ideas around lnd so um which is a very relatively short supply so those are the three things I would suggest.
0: Okay. Next yeah. one. Nice easy one.
1: Obviously you as well Danny. Oh, you smoother. And and obviously me. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Cuz I want to get I've never never been able to get over 400 followers on Twitter. So if you're listening, please just follow me just so I can have a day in the day in the glory of <laughs> 400 followers.
0: It's always it.
1: been up and down between like 360 and like 380, but I've never pushed over that barrier. So uh, I do say some interesting stuff sometimes.
0: I believe you do my friend okay next one (laughs) next one um do you even like yourself do i even like myself
1: interesting um i i don't know i tend to i tend to go on what other people say about me rather than what i believe about myself so um I think i think there are yeah i mean there are good, some good and bad things about me i think there's some good and bad things about everybody um i think good thing yeah there's plenty of um you know things that i do and mindsets i have which i think are, are, are you know are, are, are valuable and and I, we need to retain and there are some which i struggle i'm aware of but i struggle to shift so um so sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It depends what sort of mood I'm in often.
0: Okay. Okay. And maybe yeah, let's do let's do two more. So what five tips would you give to someone who is coming into our industry or our field other than don't do it? <laughs> um
1: read books. Okay. <laughs> um uh challenge conventional thinking um basically seek out new knowledge every opportunity um surround yourself with good people and um probably something like uh focus on measurement something boring always comes back to ROI at the end of the day sadly
0: (laughs) so I've just had a question from um from Gemma oh yeah and she said um if L&D today was a festival which festival would it be and why or what festival should L&D aspire to be more like
1: I would say if it was a festival today It would be learning tech (laughs) because that's basically what it is, isn't it? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a dreadfully stilted and um, an old fashioned industry. I think people are aware of it. Um, They're struggling to break, to break away from it um, because they're all in it. And this is what I talked about before around um, when you're in a place or industry for too long, you struggle to, to see it for what it is. And I think, um, people really need to need to wake up and renew, remove some of those filters that we talked about. Um, I think it needs to be more like a party. I think people need to just accept that um, you know, that everyone got everyone's got a view. We're more or less playing in the same, you know stirring the same pot and, um, and actually the only way we're going to evolve as an industry is to bring in a completely new perspective or, or bring in new people that can that challenge our thinking. Um I like distru- I like disruption and innovation. So um so yeah, that I think that's we're we're in the learning tech space. I think Shambhala being my favourite festival would also be the place I'd like us to get to where there's kind of an equality, um, there's a sustainability, there's a kind of um a recognition of um, you know, and there's a there's a kind of connection and love between people at Shambhala that you don't get anywhere else that I've been to. So Um, So yeah, I think we need a bit more of that as well in L&D.
0: Okay. Okay, so going kind of full circle now, I guess right at the start, I asked you to pick some numbers out for me. Yeah. These numbers um, tally up to a random list of items and it's just really simple. You're on a desert island um, and you find these five items. So your items end up being a condom, a spoon, a balloon, a metal spring and a keychain. What do you do with these items?
1: So, say again.
0: Yep. So, you've got a condom. Yep. A spoon. Yep. A balloon. Yep. A metal spring. Yeah. And a key ring. Hmm.
1: I'd keep the condom spare in case I felt like I had enough and I want to asphyxiate myself. <laughs> okay. So, that would be the first thing. Um,. The spoon I'd just keep as a as a utensil, because you obviously need that to eat stuff. Um a balloon I could probably use to signal passing ships. Um was it does a balloon have helium in it? Um let's just say yeah. Okay. Then yeah, I'd probably i probably think about ways of, of you know signaling passing ships. Um using my balloon, a spring. I wonder if I could use my, I could use the spring as some kind of weapon. Uh, Depends how big the spring was, but I wonder if I uncoiled the spring and stretched it out as some kind of really pointy sharp implement, I could use it as like a spear fishing device, depending on how thick the spring was. So I would probably tie it to a piece of wood and then use it to spear, spear fish. Or actually, I could use it. I could cut it up into bits and use it as, um, you know, fish hooks. So that's what I do with the spring. And um, what was the last one? A key ring. Does it? Was it have on it? Or um, it's just the ring itself.
0: Let's say it's a keyring with a fish on.
1: A fish. Okay. Well, that's perfect because you can use that as a lure. You see, for your, you know, for your um, hook spring, spring hooks that you that I've made. Um trying to think if there's anything else i could use that. But it but depends if it was a shiny a shiny key ring i could probably also use it to signal passing ships while setting off my helium balloon as well so oh, okay. kind of double whammy hopefully someone would see see the uh, the flashing sos signal from my
0: key ring good thinking good thinking so i guess i guess right at the beginning i kind of asked you you know what you want to be when you grow up and Charlie, you know as much as anybody else that we constantly are, are constantly growing and developing. So if I was to ask you a question now, which was, Charlie, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you say?
1: Ask me that question again, sorry. Yeah, so... My wife just canceled. me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's <no>, no, <laughs> fine, fine.
0: So we are constantly developing, yeah? We never, ever really, truly grow, like, grow up. So if I was yeah. to ask you the question, Charlie, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you say now?
1: Hmm, I don't know, I think I don't really have a, um, a strong, a strong pull into anything right now. Um, I guess I just wanna work with fun, cool people with good ideas. Um, I don't really care what industry and uh and make and or do some cool stuff um i also th- i also i'm starting to become drawn to the idea of doing something kind of in the third sector so i think um i have a slight issue with you know taking taking a decent salary from a from a charity in a sense that you know people's donations are, are paying for it but at the same time i would like to to work in you know in a in an industry that's purely there for for the benefit of others or you know life on this planet so um so I probably I probably want to work in you know ideally in like a um an eco animal type charity um or maybe work in renewables or something like that so something that's going to benefit people I think I want to I want to do
0: okay cool well Chad, I mean where can people find a little bit more about you and and how can we follow you not in the starker way
1: well, luckily, my name is awful to spell and um, and therefore I'm pretty much the only one. So my Twitter is at Charlie Neen, which is like knee on, on, your, on your leg with an extra N on the end. Um, and uh, my LinkedIn is my LinkedIn, so just search Charlie Neen. Um, my blog is spongeparrot, uh, dot com, and uh, you could try and connect me on Facebook and I'll probably just ignore it,
0: but you can try. Okay, I've got one extra question sponge parrot where did this come from
1: yeah so uh where did it come from so i have a a special skill which is to soak up ideas and believe them and uh and kind of basically um adopt and believe in ideas that i'm told so it's the strength a weakness in but i believe everything i'm told but also it's a power in terms of i'm actually quite a good salesman because i start to believe the bullshit that i sprout um <clears throat> so that's know yeah, that's where the sponge comes from and the parrot is basically me it's kind of a, it's kind of a nod to the fact that actually i'm just basically regurgitating ideas that p- other people have thought of um a lot of the time um so i yeah i'm not a <clears throat> i don't believe in my and many of the ideas are or original that i come up with and i believe that i i have to kind of nod to the the people before me that have come up with them so um that's where sponge parrot comes from um
0: awesome so yeah alright Charlie well it's been an absolute pleasure thanks very much for uh, coming on
1: no pleasure and I think it's a really um, really honourable thing you're doing and hopefully uh, people enjoy the the podcast even if you've got prats like me on them so yeah good
0: work cheers Charlie
1: thanks bye bye take care
0: bye